Welcome to the What Moves Us podcast. I'm Natalie Reyna, a dancer and mover with a master's degree in clinical psychology and founder of Reyna Movement, an organization that teaches people tools to slow the motion of their lives and reconnect to their bodies. Join me as I talk with ordinary people finding extraordinary healing by connecting to their bodies through different types of movement. My mission is to spread the message that tuning into our body is not only accessible, but key to our mental health and healing journeys. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of What Moves Us. This is your host, Natalie Reyna, and as always, I'm just super thrilled to bring you another episode of Ordinary People Finding Extraordinary Healing Through Movement. Today, we have Mike Kitchell, an experimental acrobat that lives and works in Oakland, California. After growing up in the Midwest and going through a period of life where he felt totally disconnected from his body, Mike discovered yoga after learning about his favorite philosopher's ideas around achieving the impossible. Immediately, he was intrigued by the pursuit of his handstand. Eventually, Mike found his way to athletic playground where he was able to pursue not only his handstands, but also elements of acrobatics and parkour, which led him to where he is today. Mike teaches group classes, workshops, and private classes focused on acrobatic movement for adults, primarily handstands and ground-based acrobatic flow, the latter of which he often refers to as soft acrobatics. Mike is artistic, thoughtful, and has a strong philosophy on movement and society as a whole, and I'm so excited for you to hear his episode. So let's jump into it. Today we have Mike Kitchell, an incredible soft acrobatics and I would say parkour, right? Also. When I can, depending on how my knee feels. Ah, yes, depending (laughs) on the knee, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, But yes, so Mike Kitchell is an incredible mover, and I'm super excited to have him on. So Mike, welcome to What Moves Us. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. And so as my listeners know, I always like to ask, um, is there like a particular practice that you have that you like to do to ground yourself before you get into like a class or your movement? So when I'm going out to train, uh, and by training, generally, that means for me, just kind of going and working on soft acro stuff with the intent of generally kind of getting to a sequence. Um, I almost always train with headphones in. <laughs> the uh, listening to music is kind of the one thing that lets me kind of get into the zone, mm-hmm. uh, which is oddly enough why I feel like a lot of the times I end up training solo for that reason. Uh, it's weird to train with other people with headphones in. But uh, so kind of I just try to when I get out to kind of transition out of the space of not training to this space of moving. Um, I put on my headphones and I kind of just start trying to kind of like let my weight shift around. Um, tends to be a lot of kind of cartwheels. Uh, I kind of just try to vibe into the spot and just kind of start feeling comfortable in my body. Um, so yeah, <laughs> speaking of grounding practices, uh, I, I, I'm sure this will come up organically otherwise, but I started doing anything with my body um, in the context of yoga. Mm. And the very short version of this I will get to here is that um, the idea of yoga, of course, is that it is moving through a series of postures in order to kind of chill out the mind and center the space. Um, but for me, it actually sometimes sometimes that worked and for a while it worked, but I found that as I was more comfortable with what I was doing, it was actually harder to still the mind. Mm-hmm. And it is easier for me to actually kind of chill out and get grounded if I am moving a lot more dynamically. 
Um, so it's kind of ironically that I kind of, I ground myself with the practice in general. <laughs> yeah, totally. So in terms of the, the opening up the space to the practice, is probably mm. the best okay. answer. Yeah, no, I hear that. So it's like, it sounds like you're kind of starting with like familiar movements, just like patterns, maybe that you're like, that you know, really well, and that you're comfortable with and like, doing those like in the space and figuring out in the yeah. space. It's mostly just I have to create a way to be able to get out of whatever, you know, bullshit I was stuck on ahead of time, and just be like, okay, cool. This is just like, I don't need to think about things. I need to start moving. And the mm. best way to do that for me is to start moving. Yes, I love that. And um, there's actually this like practice in somatics called orienting that sometimes you do with clients. Well, you should do with the clients all the time before you start, but it's basically like letting people like look around the space and getting used to like being there and that like they're safe here and that their body is good to, you know, relax and whatever. So um, it sounds like that's kind of an organic piece of what you do. Totally. Cool. Oh my gosh. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So for anybody listening, take a look around your room, remind your body that you're good and you're safe. And if you want to get up and move around in it, you can um, just to go explore that. But yeah, that's awesome. And so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, where did you grow up? Like, what was that kind of like for you when you were growing up? Sure. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest, um, like the very almost like dead center of Illinois. Mm. Uh, in a twin cities called Bloomington Normal, which I always have been kind of tickled by. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I should say I was a very active and hyper kid. And as my mom has said, I always had a lot of energy. Um, but I I never like necessarily aligned myself with physical activity. Like I wasn't really into like gym class. Mm. I like I because it was very much just kind of average Midwest upbringing. Like I played team sports, but I was never like invested. Like I wasn't like upset about doing it. Like it was a thing to do, but I was like right. not concerned that I wasn't that good at it or like right. <laughs> it was more like it was a social thing that I just kind of like had the expectation of doing without any real interest. Um, I, the one thing I did always like as a kid was kind of just playing on the diving board at the pool publicly um and I always wanted to kind of like you know I was like well if I have to do like an organized sport like I want to be on swim team but um how I remember it I don't know if this is actually the reality is that my parents did not want to have to like spend all Saturday yes at a swim okay <laughs> <laughs> I would also dance to my mom playing Janet 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 Jackson records in yes. the living room Oh my gosh. Yes. And that dancing involved a lot of cartwheels and going into the splits. Oh. was cute and hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so especially when I started doing the the soft acro stuff, which has a lot of kind of crossover with acro dance, my mom was like, oh, you're dancing with cartwheels again. Right. Isn't that funny? We always yeah. go back to like those things that we loved in our childhood. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was also kind of you know, I'm, I'm still a weirdo, but I was also a little weirdo as a kid. I really liked reading, really obsessed with the X-Files. Um, like, I liked a lot of weird paranormal stuff. But the other thing I like doing is just kind of spinning around by myself in my room. Okay. And just like that sensation um, and that kind of like the corporeal dizziness that it brought on. It was just very satisfying, and like hanging upside down from my bunk bed. And so that sort of... Um, that sort of 
early embodied access to these sort of states of otherness mm. um i kind of consider as being kind of an early development of a lot of what kind of i'm interested in now right okay that's so cool that you can like find that through line from like childhood like yeah i really like to feel that like feeling in my body to like the things that you do now which i'm sure like you have to yeah we'll get into it i'm so excited but that <laughs> you're having you're paying attention to those states a little bit more now in order to like be able to do all the incredible things that you do like <laughs> yeah so um and then so okay so you were in sports you didn't really care you kind of care well you didn't really care but what why were you put into that like just because that's what we, you were supposed to do yeah i mean like my you know i my my parents were both like very normal midwestern people like my mom was a cheerleader and my dad played on the basketball team okay. like not any not anything like you know it wasn't like they were like amazing like superstars or whatever but okay. um just i think it was just like they they were like well this is what kids do and i was like okay <laughs> and my my brother was kind of always the one that was the more athletic one um, okay in our youth which is kind of ironic because he's yeah. now but uh yeah i mean like and i think it was probably good because i think i probably did have too much energy that needed to be burnt off somehow so, yeah. <laughs> like yeah like no no regret but like also like no connection to it okay um and then actually kind of started you know in that true sort of aunt-stridden adolescent sort of way like rebelling against it um the the one thing that like i never really like connected with that i think kind of left me feeling was that like i never cared about watching sports games mm. like i was just like there's nothing interesting about this to me. yeah like i didn't mind doing it like i was right. like cool this is fine this is fun but like watching it to me just like nothing about it was interesting <laughs> yes i hear that <laughs> yeah definitely and so in your adolescence you it sounds like you kind of moved away from like sports were you still yeah. thing? what did that look like for you so basically in high school i didn't do anything i i kind of like when i was i think a either a a junior or a senior in high school my high school actually added a dance fitness option so it was the first time actually that like i was kind of like oh this is actually kind of a fun way to do something because like you know like dodgeball and like crappy and like running track like i was like this is not like no <laughs> this isn't it <laughs> like, yeah so that was cool and like i have always kind of like really kind of like got like enjoyed music um and like in a, to a certain extent, like the the sort of embodied connection that I can kind of get into listening to music has kind of always been the level above like an explicit interest in dance. Mm. But anything that has given me kind of an opportunity to feel my body while I'm listening to music, okay, um, I discovered was kind of a thing that um, gave me what I wanted. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which you know maybe took a negative turn in the in the college years but <laughs> mm, okay negative how so uh so after high school I kind of like I remember making like a weird conscious decision as if there was like only a binary position where I either had to be a jock or actually have like an intellectual 
investment in life. Oh, huh. Um, and so I kind of consciously was like, well, like, I'm not going to be a jock. Like, I want to live an intellectual life. Um, and can I interrupt you? So where do you yeah. think that came from? I'm so that's really interesting. Like, why was why did it come out so black and white? Do you think? Well, I think honestly, I didn't have. I mean, I, I think it's still you kind of have to look for it a lot. Like, there's not the specific kind of intellectual pursuits I was interested in were directly kind of in opposition to what kind of discourse would surround, let's call it athleticism. Okay. Um, like just because I'm always a person that has to think too much about everything. Got it. Um, okay. And like, there didn't seem like anything to think about. And the people who I was interacting with who like these were their primary interests were not saying anything that was of interest to me. There mm -hmm. was nothing for me to like connect to. So I think it was a combination of like explicitly wanting to follow a specific intellectual route and not having any sort of example of a way that I could do that with any sort of physicality connection. Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, that's, you know, I just came up with that right now. Who knows if that's. <laughs> Love it. No, I mean, that's like, it's a pretty, like, pretty good hot take, I think. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, like, you know, ultimately, like, also, like, when you're in high school, there's kind of like, the world is a little more black and white for the most part. And Definitely. Like, if you're like, well, I don't like this. So I need to like the opposite or like, I like the opposite of this. So right. I can't like or like you know just even like the stereotype of like I was hanging out with like the weird theater kids and artists in high school and like you know we were not the people that like went to the football games on Friday right right okay so it like I don't know if it was like anyway uh there was also <laughs> an element of it I think that I kind of wanted to exist independent of my body um like, I don't think I felt super comfortable in my body for the most part. Um, and that continued for a while. Um, I, and so I think that- I want to interrupt you again there, because I'm curious, <laughs> when did that shift happen? Because it sounds like growing up, you had that connection to your body, like where you did, I mean, at least it sounds like it, that you felt comfortable. Yeah. Was there a moment that that like shifted for you? I don't remember there being a moment. Um, like, I remember a moment coming out of the other side like what I kind of like consider of as like the transition into sort of the way I live my life now. Okay. But I, I, I have actually, I've never thought about it and I don't mm. remember a singular moment or a singular incident. I think it was just kind of a progressive thing. I think if you're intentionally like also kind of choosing to not do the things with your body and not in a context where you have to do it um, or kind of using the body in a different way, mm. then you lose, I don't know, lose sight of that. And yeah, then it like definitely. gets too long and then you're screwed. So. Right. Yeah. It's like you kind of lose it before you even realize what's happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. I went to a public university for college um, and I was in the photography program. Um, I had a lot, I, for some reason, I, I, at many times throughout my sort of college career, I like had multiple minors and like double majors. But the one thing I, I stayed with and finished the whole way through was uh I majored I have a BFA in photography and then I, I minored in English which I mean I think it was just kind of again I have never been capable of being able to like 
prioritize things I'm not interested in. So I was just like, I'm interested in this and I want to make sure I can stay connected to it. That ability to like, see what you're interested in, like, go for it. It sounds like you've kind of always had that. And like, where did you get that from? And where do I get it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I've always wanted, like, I think my mom helped cultivate it for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. I think some people just have the impetus and some people don't. And I think that's right. fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm it's glad like, I, I didn't have get it. it. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't. So no, no. <laughs> but okay, okay. So, um, so through college, that was kind of like your focus was on like those kind of more intellectual pursuits, like going well, for photography. Ultimately, in college, my focus was on getting drunk as often as possible. <laughs> okay. There we go. Yeah. 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 And and I played in like shitty rock bands and stuff. Um, okay. So ironically I feel like actually the connection to my body at that point this is what I was kind of alluding to when I said a potentially negative connection is that like you know inebriation was a way to kind of be rooted in a body in a way that simultaneously felt apart from it um Mm. and also an activity that you can really enjoy listening to music during so yes huh Um, yeah so yeah that was kind of and it's weird because I've also not considered but Ultimately, like, yeah, when I was in, in college, like, the only thing I did with my body was, like, pour alcohol into it. And I mean, I still had a lot of energy. I remember being a little psychopath and running around and stuff. But... Running around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Okay. Yeah, that's really, I mean, that's fun. It's not fun, but I feel like <laughs> I just, like, thought, like, <laughs> like, because the only reason that I like to drink is that, like, I can like go listen to music and dance and like connect to my body in that way so that's pretty interesting but it's like yeah you kind of are outside of yourself like while you're experiencing that so huh yeah and I wasn't dancing I probably like if it had worked out I had ended up I mean like I hung out with a bunch of like heterosexual men who were really into indie rock (laughs) there was not a lot of dancing involved (laughs) right right kind of standing around and bobbing your head (laughs) so then you were moving through college so then what happened at first I kind of thought like oh well I I want to go to an MFA program because by that point I had kind of articulated this idea that the work that I wanted to make was book work um I've always written fiction for want of a better term so when I was in college like my photography degree was mostly used in conversation with what I was writing like not in an illustrative capacity um, but kind of like simultaneous text in terms of the way that an image can be read. So informing one another, but not illustrating. One. Okay. Um, and I had kind of gotten involved with Chicago's uh, and the sort of nascent independent literature scene. Cool. Um, I had started writing for um, what was in the brief blip of literary history, a somewhat successful um, online literature literature blog called html giant that was kind of uh oh okay like the equivalent of indie rock to where it's not actually a genre but it's basically you know the indie lit was kind of the colloquial term for it okay um so i was kind of i was invested in that scene and i was um going to chicago a lot and doing readings and had friends up there by the time i graduated i was kind of like oh do i need to be an mfa like and I applied to some schools, but not like a ton. And I didn't get into any 
And then I was kind of like, by that point, I had kind of, while I was waiting, I started just kind of doing what I thought I wanted to do anyway, which is just trying to figure out how to pay my rent while I have this capacity to kind of like participate in this community and actually be able to write and make the work I wanted to. And I was like, well, maybe I don't need to actually, you know, go into debt to continue doing this. Okay. So I did, I was like, all right, I didn't get to any of these programs. So I... I was working uh, actually kind of like as an administrative assistant at the library at the university that I had gone to. Okay. Um, and I lived in an apartment with friends um, in downtown. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a year. I played in city rock bands and I just worked my job. And like, honestly, like I was not unhappy with my life, but I realized something was missing and that if I didn't go anywhere, I wasn't ever going to go anywhere. Oh, wow. Um, and I didn't want to move to Chicago. Um, so Chicago, like, like I like Chicago. Chicago is great. I I was kind of like, though, Chicago, in terms of, like, the weather and stuff, is not that different from where I was, only everything was a lot easier where I was. Uh... Um, so I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to, like, make my life harder just to live in the city, but I also knew that I needed to live in the city. Okay to kind of have the things that I wanted. Sure, yeah. Um, so I had the opportunity to, I went on a reading tour with a magazine um, that was on the East Coast. It basically was in like Baltimore, DC, New York City, and Boston, I think. Um, and I, so it was kind of like, okay, cool. I can check out the East Coast. And I was like, oh, the weather is like, basically the same as the Midwest. <laughs> and I was like, this is not what I want. Either. You're going to not go there. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, and also by that point, I was like, I really hate driving. Like I hate mm. having to drive everywhere. So I was like, I... okay, if I'm going to move somewhere, I want to move somewhere I don't have to drive. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't think I want to move to New York. Um, I guess I should check out San Francisco because I don't think I can move to LA without a car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I had a I had a friend from the internet that okay. I was kind of romantically interested in who was potentially romantically interested back. Okay. So I went out and stayed with him for a week and that did not work out. But I okay. was like, oh, I like San Francisco. Yeah. Um and I had and like we, we stayed friends, like and I had one other friend that I had never met that also lived out there from the like literary scene. Um and because I had worked the admin assistant job for the university I had just enough kind of like of a retirement package that was like it was like maybe two grand okay that I was just like this is kind of just enough to get me out there um so I was just like through it like I'm like it was like the most insane like northern Illinois winter in like 20 years and I was just like I'm not doing this anymore (laughs) I'm I'm over this no more snow (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I literally am not interested in doing this. So I kind of just, you know, sold everything I could. I was flying across the country without an actual place to live. Right. Um, I was in 14 different places the first year I lived in San Francisco. Oh my gosh. One of those 14 places was technically in Oakland, but still that first year. um, Oh my gosh. But a lot of people had told me that everyone they know who had kind of made that move ends up moving back and I'm extremely stubborn about certain things (laughs) (laughs) 
and also like i didn't want to move back i'm gonna make it work yeah um anyway i made it out here uh i did finally find like a more stable uh apartment situation at like the end of a year wow um and like you know i worked shitty jobs um kind of hit a hit a point in when i was probably like 28 29 okay where uh just kind of my lifestyle and disconnection from my body had kind of caught up to the point where I just felt really unpleasant in my body um very overweight um I have very stocky ass midwestern bone structure so I don't think I probably looked as overweight as I actually was but like compared to me now there's a giant difference Okay. Can Um, I interrupt real quick? How did you, how could you tell that you didn't feel comfortable in your body? I think it was actually just like, okay. So the actual breaking point was I went on a three week trip to Greece with my partner. Um, and it was great. And like, it was amazing. I was so happy to be there, but I felt so kind of like uncomfortable and disgusted with my state of existence while I was there. Okay. So it was kind of just, I think I was finally out of what had become my regular, um, like environment right. and it actually gave me an opportunity to be like, and like, also like having to exist in a very different way than I had been for yeah. about, let's say eight years at that point. Right. Okay. Um, not eight years, like five years, but, um, okay. yeah, I think it was just kind of like, it was enough of a difference that I, and there were certain times where I was just like. I consciously could tell that like I should have been enjoying myself more, mm. but there was like a, a like a corporeal element like in the way. Um, so that was kind of the thing. Um, that was like the breaking point. For this okay. Um, wow. And that's what I uh, like earlier when I said like I don't remember when I lost track of like my connection to my body, but I remember the first time getting back, and it was basically that trip. Okay. And it's kind of, you know, it's easy to remember because like, you know, it's not like I'm taking constant three week long trips to Greece. So. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but like, movie. yeah, it's interesting because not everybody come like, I, I believe there is magic in being able to like go into a different environment because it does just allow you to like rewire your neurons and like look at yes. things in a different perspective and blah, 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 blah. And it sounds like you figured that out like you were able to like come to a conclusion of like something here isn't like feeling right yeah I've always been kind of self-aware to a to a fault (laughs) um which I think was probably also like part of how I had just kind of like compartmentalized away from the sort of physicality of a body because I had so much to think about right um and like that that's kind of the like the the b side to the conversation we've had so far is that like i said that i'm stubborn but i'm also just kind of like whatever is going on in my brain like i've never really had a problem like insisting on who i was Mm. um like i mean like i was aware that i was like gay you know early on in high school and like i never really had like a crisis of faith about it like (laughs) Yeah. Because I was just kind of like, well, if people don't like this, like, who cares? Like, Mm. I'm going to get over it. Like, it has nothing to do with them. And I kind of always just sort of been like that with everything. Okay. Um, Again, to a fault. I'm also just kind of like, like, like certain things that people are like, even like in like grade school and people would make fun of things. Sometimes I'd be like, 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 what is like, what's the point? (laughs) Yeah. 
yeah. that's so interesting yeah because it sounds like there's two like there's a little split here where it's like the the internal you is like very confident and like sure of like what you're doing but then like connect yeah. that to the outside self was like not working yeah 100 percent. the other part of how i finally so I, okay i came back from greece and i was like i, I gotta change some shit right um like i had been consciously aware of kind of dietary decisions for a while because you know i'm from the midwest everyone kind of eats like shit sure, yeah <laughs> i had been like at a level conscious of it um since high school when i like fake dated a guy who was vegetarian okay um <laughs> i'm not gonna tell that story <laughs> um, uh, next episode next time <laughs> So I was like, okay, I mean, like, I'm definitely like, I'm drinking too much. I'm kind of just like, you know, I'm eating shitty pizza from the corner at 2am every other right. night. Like, mm -hmm. I should probably just actually consider what I'm putting into my body. Um, so I, I, I haven't eaten like meat proper, probably since actually, I guess, college. Wow. Like for the first, like, probably like the first couple of years of college. Okay. Um, but I, I've like now I have eaten fish on and off okay. for that time period. Um, I stopped, I cut out dairy entirely at first when I went vegan, mm. but then I was like, oh, I'm just actually super lactose intolerant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's why I don't, I do think actually the ethical imperative is probably to, I think veganism divorced from the sort of capitalist industry of basically shitty processed food that a lot of veganism has become. Right. Um, I think in kind of a, a better world, a vegan diet is an ethical consideration that is an imperative, like actually right. better for the planet. But in the sort of hellscape of late capitalism, yeah. Um, I also need to kind of be able to navigate my own body's needs right. without having to eat a shit ton of processed food. I hear that. It's like trying <laughs> to figure out like what is good for your body but it's really hard to do that when you're living in a capitalistic system that like doesn't yeah. allow the space or the resources yeah. to do that and even like ethically if i'm like well i believe this is actually the right thing to do but also right. like it's gonna like if i am training as much as i am i need more protein if i yeah. need more protein i either have to buy a whole bunch of this horribly processed fake meat which i'm not gonna lie i still eat regularly because sure just eating fish would be crazy yeah um but also like when i am just eating these hella processed fake protein products like my body can tell that that's what it's yeah. doing definitely and, like so it's kind of like you know we're mm -hmm. all doomed but <laughs> <laughs> we're all doomed and yeah we're all doomed we just got to do what we can until we um, do our best oh, yeah. yeah okay oh. so why did i even start talking about this oh so yeah so first changes i was making I had this awareness about kind of dietary things. Right. Um, so I went back. I think I actually, I am not a person who does moderation very easily. Okay. Um, like at all. Like okay. I'm kind of an all or nothing person. You just like jump in. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Right. But I was like, all right, I'm going to be gluten-free and vegan because I also eat way too much bread. Being gluten-free and vegan sucks, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Again, you know, I'm sure like if you had like ample access to super hella good produce, like that would be fine. Right. But like I was buying groceries every day from like the the like 
the corner store in the mission in San Francisco, which like that produce is not bad. Like California produce is in general better than everywhere else. Right. But also like, it's not like. But it's the liquor store Apple. Like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, because like the larger and as I, well, as I did already mention, uh, sort of my intellectual life for want of a better way to put it. Um, was very important to me and a specific thinker that I have always very much felt kind of uh, a connection or a kinship to is a French author named Georges Bataille a writer and a thinker uh, around kind of like in between World War One and World War Two, and then he died in 1952. Um, his most important body of work in my opinion or so it's kind of what's relative to my interests was a body of work called Le, Le Somme et Theologique which he wrote kind of during the Second World War. Um, a lot of what he writes about is this idea of the impossible. And I'm going to give an extremely abrupt short version of this because- It's like the abridged version. It's all good. Yeah. So basically in terms of how I connect with it and how I think there's actually an emphasis there is Bataille's conception of the impossible is this sort of experiential state that kind of sits beyond the capacity of what language can articulate. Mm. So as like concrete examples that he gives of what he occasionally calls these sort of sovereign states, um, it's like the excess of laughter or um, like being drunk or like um, the orgasmic moment of eroticism, Um, kind of these, these, these experiences that take you kind of beyond what you have recourse to with a sort of semantically constructed idea of your position in the world. And also the thing about all of these states is that they are kind of beyond the level of utility. Like there's no, um, in, in terms of a capitalist construction, there is no utility to laughing a bunch. There's no utility to a non, a non procreative orgasm. Right. Um, there's no utility to being drunk. Mm. Um, but these are these are bodily states that everyone has the capacity to access that take mm. you beyond whatever we currently are. Yes, right. Um, and there's he provides other examples. But anyway, his sort of writing around an obsession with that uh, was something I was very interested in. Mm. Um, and he actually was a very early person in the West who was practicing some form of yoga. Hmm. Um, like he he was a librarian at La Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris when okay. he was able to be. And so like there's records of the books that he checked out and like in references of what he wrote. Like he was reading like um, Marceau Iliad's early book on yoga. Okay. Um, and like the early anthropological studies. Um, mm and had friends that were kind of um, Orientalists, I guess is more or less probably what they called themselves in the early 20th century. Um, But he was interested not for kind of the larger container that um, Eastern spirituality offers, but rather sort of the technology of yoga and meditation and how that provided another way to actually start accessing this sort of um, inner experience that's impossible so he uh, was experimenting a lot with meditation in different ways. And so I was like, well, I really like what George Bataille did. Maybe I should check out Jung. Um, and I had a friend who was very into it and went regularly. And fortunately, living in the mission, there was a studio with amazing teachers like two blocks from my apartment. 
Ah, awesome. Um, so my friend got me to go. Um, she dragged my ass to an advanced class for my very first class without telling oh me that. Oh my gosh. And like, it was miserable. Like it was so hard. I was so sweaty, but like, I felt kind of like for the first time, like I was like, I felt empty, but in like a good way. Ah, yes. Um, like I felt like that was exhausting and it offered a sense of relief. Like I, mm -hmm. I stopped thinking about things for the last 75 minutes. Right. Okay. Um, and I was like, amazing. Um, also like I was like a pack a day smoker in my twenties for the most okay. part. Um, and I think I had recently quit, mm. um, successfully. I I'm trying to remember if it was before or after I started going to yoga, but I, I kept going because to a certain degree, I replaced the kind of cigarette edition with a yoga edition. Right. Um, Gotta step out and go do a downward dog. Yeah. <laughs> what I thought was kind of really um, interesting that I was realizing is that actually kind of giving time away from my brain and just kind of focusing on the body gave me an opportunity to start kind of noticing things in the body mm. that I didn't have access to before, which is definitely kind of the point um of what has become kind of a western yoga practice sure like i said i read way too much about everything so i know there's larger kind of historical contextual considerations sure but i feel like for all intents and purposes when we talk about yoga in in a western capital society yeah. it is one specific thing even mm. in and it was like intentionally imported from india that way right like historically the people like the early practitioners of what became vinyasa yoga was intentionally showy to get westerners to try it um so with that said like there still is a connection to again like i said i think when you are kind of paying attention to your body and moving through and accessing this flow state larger idea then it's going to kind of give you access to these right. things that like the like a religion proper does too. right right um so <laughs> having access to that like I was like this is amazing um like it was like it was actually like it started informing my writing I started to feel so much better um like I didn't want to be drinking all the time because okay. I had like I could actually like feel in my body and I was like oh like that doesn't actually feel good right um and it's much easier to kind of chill out on something when like you're literally like it's like you're aware of something rather than just like you have this sort of intellectual idea where you're like well I know it's bad for me but it it feels really good right um so yeah I also I I didn't like I did entirely quit smoking which I was intentional okay. um I didn't at the time like intentionally quit drinking but it mm garnering that awareness kind of made it a lot more easier to kind of manage it in a healthier okay. way um and then sort of the and it was it was really great to have a really really deep yoga practice and yeah. the elements of the the physical elements that I was always most attracted to were basically kind of like backbending and handstand mm. um and just inversion in general like I like I remember the first time like I like kicked up to a headstand in a class and like held it and I was like, holy shit, this is like the greatest experience ever. Um, yeah. 
and that was what kind of like I was like this is amazing like I am yeah. so on board with this and but then like, yeah um, little mic on the bunk bed it's coming yeah back. exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh blood to the brain oh yeah. this is so fun <laughs> um so and then I kind of was like I was still really into yoga but you know as I said like I get really into the things that excite me and so I was just like well I'm gonna learn how to handstand so I just yeah. I had deleted my Facebook on like, I think my 28th birthday. I actually went two years with no social media other than Twitter. <laughs> but then I, I finally, I was like, you know what? I kind of like, I, I was really into yoga and I was kind of like, also I, you know, I have a degree in photography. I've always thought a lot about what things look like. And, yeah. and I'm very well aware that like, what yoga looks like is not the point, but I was like, it is interesting to see the things you can do with a body. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well, Instagram is a visual media. So like, maybe it's okay. Like I'll, I'll join Instagram. Okay. Um, and this was kind of like the era of Instagram where like my feed ended up seeing a lot of like handstand people. Um, okay. cause I, I was interested in that. And like, it was when like hashtags like handstand every day and handstand 365 were like a thing, even probably more so than they are now. But I was like, you know what? I bet if I like consciously decide I'm going to like work on my handstands every day for just a little bit, like that I'll get better at them. Nice. And like somehow, like literally in the first fucking week, like I hit my first 10 second hold. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So um and I, I think also like I already kind of at that point I really like yoga still, but there was something I was noticing that this wasn't true for every teacher, like the better teachers were better about this, but there's a lot of kind of cueing in yoga that is just kind of what I think of as kind of like an inherited way to cue, where the person who is giving the cue maybe hasn't thought about what the cue is actually saying. Um, mm. And it's just kind of like, it becomes like a stock response rather than anything where you're looking at someone's body and being able to right. respond to them. And I was like, I don't really think a lot of what I'm being told is helpful. So I'm just going to like, you know, fuck with stuff and try it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So I did. And like, um, fast forward to that, like, I like yoga classes became like a place where I was mostly interested in working on like handstands and then like back bending and like dropbacks and stuff. Okay. Uh, and then eventually I moved from the mission in San Francisco to Oakland. Um, okay. And uh, athletic playground is like two is like four blocks from where I live. Oh my gosh, that's meant to be. And so I had not heard of it for actually the entire first two years that I lived in Oakland. And Whoa. I was still like actually like far, and I was still working in the city at this point too. Uh, oh. Yeah, this was this was like six years ago. Um, okay. Years ago. Anyway, so in this era of Instagram, like I was following all these handstand accounts, and this was kind of like the height of when like movement culture was getting more visibility kind of like okay. the Edo portal crap um mm -hmm. but i was very attracted to this capacity of what i saw people doing that was called like locomotion or like the ground movement stuff um, right. and i was like oh this is cool because it looks like yoga but you can move around more and like they're but you're moving upside down um and eventually i figured out that um shira who runs who owns and runs athletic playground um like was doing like i think it was like i was following the like the guy who runs gmb ryan hurst or something 
okay. doing a lot of handstands and like ground-based poker motion at that time. Okay. Uh, and he had posted he was doing privates with Shira. Uh, and I looked her up and I was like, oh, that's like three blocks from me. Like, right here. <laughs> yeah. So I um, I started going. At first, I was like, oh, cool. They have handstand classes too. Like, it'll be cool to actually, you know, work with people who know what they're doing on this. Side note, this is why I always think self-practice is super important, but periodically working with people who know more than you is also really important. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like yeah, doing definitely. the work on your own is actually the most important part, but I think, you know, periodically remembering that you that there are other people who can give you information. Definitely, yeah. Um, so started going to AP, also took the acrobatics and parkour classes. I didn't know what parkour was. Like I am okay. actually slightly too old to like, have heard of it i didn't even really know what it was and like also just kind of like old school parkour is still kind of boring to me because it's mostly just like let's run fast through an environment like whatever yeah i used to be kind of dancey and have a lot of flips and stuff yeah definitely Uh, so like there were parkour classes and like acrobatics classes and like when i took an acrobatic classes and started doing flips i was like wait a second this gives me that same sort of feeling that I used to get when I was spending all the time on the diving board Mm. and I was like this rules um so but you know I like I said I was working minimum wage jobs and gym memberships are expensive so I uh AP at the time had a work trade program so I was working the front desk in exchange for a membership and in the same way I had spent the last few years kind of building my schedule around like yoga classes I started building it around um these classes at AP and I'm still actually doing um yoga as well but because I had moved to Oakland and none of my like primary teachers that I had been like taking classes with in SF taught in Oakland I was I I felt kind of like it wasn't hitting the same way as they say (laughs) like it was a lot like I spent way too much time for the first few years I lived in Oakland actually commuting into the city kind of classes okay um and I was like this is not like this is not a good use of my time (laughs) this isn't what I want to be doing like I want to be doing flips yeah um so I kind of it was nice both because it kind of really let me finally feel like I was shifted into the east bay right um and it started actually getting me excited in a new way um and then so yeah at that point like I think when I started going there, I was actually in the middle of two years of like absolutely not drinking and being vegan and not smoking and starting to occasionally like go to the gym. Okay. Um, And so it was great. Like I felt great. Like I wasn't really stressed about anything um, for once. Like I, like the, the change in my body was astounding. And um, I've had this conversation with Bruno before, (laughs) but I feel like um, being an image-obsessed gay man, um, mm-hmm. there is a level where I think kind of like I have, you know, culturally a level of uh, dysmorphia similar sure. to probably I think a lot of women grew up with that oh. a lot of straight men don't necessarily ever think about. It was also like the only time in my life I did not feel like that constant dysmorphia. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, because okay. it was such a radical change and I felt so good in my body and um a large portion 
of what I realized was a good motivating factor for me um, was the sense that like I wanted to be able to use my body as a performer Mm. Um, and I say that in the sense that not as like a circus act or like something explicitly like this but more like I wanted to be able to use my body for expressive purposes kind of in the same way that when I did readings of my work um, I would try to give them an element of performativity right yeah yeah okay um so I was like cool I'm I feel way more comfortable using my body the way I want to for these expressive purposes um and it was great and then I made a horrible decision which is I took on a uh general management job at a different yoga yoga and dance studio okay um I had shortly before I took that job, I had started teaching a handstand class once a week at athletic playground just because I, I had never had that intention. Um, but I was, when I was working the desk with someone who had worked there for a long time, um, she was like, you're better at handstands than most of the people here. You should teach a class. And I was like, really? She was like, yeah. And I never thought about it. Um, but I was like, I was kind of terrified, um, but I was like, you know what? Okay, I'll give it a shot. And like, I liked the fact that I had to think more about what I was doing and how I was doing it and how to actually communicate that. Because as is probably implicit through kind of what we've been talking about, when I I think a lot through language, um, uh, which is probably ironic that I'm obsessed with the with, with these ideas of states that go beyond language. It is but, interesting, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a really interesting concept to be doing that. Um, and like, I think it's great that I had this opportunity with very low states to start teaching, but I will, I absolutely was not a good teacher at that point. Yeah. Um, and then when I took on this admin role, that kind of devoured my life. And I feel like I was probably a worse teacher because I was just so exhausted every day I... that like, I was just so not in the mood to like, yeah and it's a bummer because I feel like um I want to feel like I gave my best yeah and I want to you know at this point four years down into just teaching as a profession um I still feel like that yeah and I think what I saw that kind of I didn't like is when you would have a teacher come to class who kind of clearly didn't want to be there who's not excited to be there and like you know it doesn't necessarily mean they were unhelpful but it was just like the vibes are off. The vibes are off. It's like, where's the passion? Where's like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I I'm with that. I feel very similar. Like when I teach class or when I go to classes and I'm, I can tell it's like, you're just not in this. Like you don't yeah. really care. <laughs> I'm like, why are you like, this has always been my problem is that as I mentioned before, like, I feel like it either needs to be, it has to be all or nothing for me. Right. So, you know, when I was working in retail, that was enough. Yes. Like, I was explicitly not invested. Right. Like, that was literally just a paycheck. Um, but when it was like, this is something that like has the opportunity to really like help someone rather than just sell someone something. Right. Like, how could you not like feel the need to be all in? Yeah, totally. Um, and so to to timeline wise, this I took that job managing the studio in October before the pandemic hit okay um through that point like I was kind of starting to refine 
what it was that I was interested in. But again, I didn't really have the time to dive super into it. Yeah. Um, like I had started, like I had been going to classes regularly enough that I had started to be able to kind of like technique and like coordination wise ask for certain things. But like I, I didn't have the time or even kind of the container of how to start using these things in the way that I kind of had the idea that I wanted to. Okay. Um, and the studio needed more classes and the owner wanted me to teach just kind of like a general fitness class and I was huh. like I don't want to teach a general fitness class yeah yeah um and then finally I was able to kind of um I talked the owner into letting me experiment with like teaching more in a way that I want mm. um and I was still like couching it within an idea of the uh the wellness industrial complex's idea of betterment sure. um, and it taught me a lot um I feel like I don't know I feel like I have kind of lucked out in the sense that like I have had multiple opportunities to be as experimental as I want to be yeah with like in a live setting yeah um and I, I actually think that is a really important thing for people who are teaching movement stuff is that you kind of you need time to suck yeah um totally <laughs> you need time to like try things that you aren't sure are going to work right like if you're convinced like from the get-go like before you teach your first class that you know exactly what you need to do then you're not going to be that good of a teacher I don't think yeah okay um like and I I think the issue becomes like how do you do this in a way that still respects the fact that your students are like paying for your time mm. um and trying to figure out and I I, I think being able to pivot and respond to students needs while you're kind of working on the container that is what you feel passionate about and want to offer is a really good way to figure out like okay what about this is working and what isn't mm. um so that was cool because it was the first opportunity that i was like basically teaching people ground acrobatic movements crawling across the floor and stuff right and starting to think about like how do we put this stuff together it was kind of couched more in like a mobility contest okay like I think I called the class mobility flow uh -huh. so like half of it was like we drilled mobility stuff and then the second half was like starting to do some of this like ground acrobatic oh okay um but again like I was not fully there myself in mm -hmm. terms of what I wanted to go with it so anyway it was it the class did okay, yeah. all things considered. It was at like noon, or it was at like 2 p.m. on a Friday. And then the pandemic hit. And for a while, um, I was kind of still working the job. Like I was okay. the only employee because our studio did not have it together enough to like put up an online program. And like, honestly, I'm, I have very specific things that I want out of a class. Sure. And in terms of how I think about as a teacher, I want to offer the things that I want. Hmm. and for most of the things that I do at least it's very hard to do it online yeah um and I've I've tried before with some of it like I did end up teaching some online classes through AP during the okay. pandemic okay. and like I tried different forms and I never fully arrived at something that felt both like it was actually helpful to the people taking it um hmm. and again my issue is like I think actually some people don't what they're looking for is different from what I want to give to a student. Honestly, a lot of people that go to those kinds of classes are just there because they want to feel like they just worked out for you. 
Exactly. Yeah. They want to go through the motion, check off. Yeah. The they they just want those kind of like post-workout endorphins. Like they right. don't actually care if anything changes. Right. Just, you know, on the one sense, like I get it. It's like, it's, it's a socially acceptable form of catharsis to just right. for 45 minutes. Yeah. But like, I am, again, whatever my brain has decided, like I can't even pretend to offer that to someone. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, the studio, so for a while, like the, I will say the studio owner had a lot of lofty ideas, very okay. much kind of a dreamer, which I think is good, but no, we had no capacity to implement any of these things that they were thinking. Okay. Um, so I had been officially let go and was on unemployment, mm. um, but I was still kind of like, it was more or less, we were just kind of meeting and talking about ideas. Um, but I eventually it got to a point where I was like, the, the pandemic was ongoing. And I was like, I don't think like when this pandemic is over that there's going to be a space for me, like in this role. And I was like, I am making more money on unemployment than I was when I was employed right now. Hello, yeah. So I feel like I kind of made the decision to actually leave the job, um, even though technically I didn't work there anymore. Okay. Uh, because I was like, I could better use this time. Like I, I realized the issue I've always had, and I think the issue anyone who kind of lives paycheck to paycheck always has, is you never really have a break to kind of stop and try to figure out what it is you want to do. Yeah. Um, like you, cause there's just, there's no space. Like as soon as you, you can't quit a job until you have another one lined up. Right. It's survival. Um, yeah. And so like, it's a really shitty way to live. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, electively, like it was still preferable to me than having a job that actually I didn't care about, but that required everything from me. Yeah. So it was kind of like, well, that was the sacrifice that I had been willing to make. Um, and when I finally had space, I, I was very conscious of that. I was like, I am actually financially stable right now mm. and I'm not having to hustle. And I was like, this is probably not ever going to happen again. Right, <laughs> right. So I was like, I need to like make a plan. Like I, I know that, um, kind of psychologically that it was, we all, humanity, capitalist society needed a break. Um, and so like, and not many people took it like when the pandemic hit and I know I needed a break, but I also knew that like, I did not have the privilege of not making use of that time in a way yeah. that I wanted to. Right. But like, also like at this time, my partner and I, as I mentioned, lived in a much tinier apartment than before. Okay. Um, and like he was working from home and I was like, we are going to kill each other. Like I need alone <laughs> time. So I started doing two things. Um, the first thing I did was I decided to start teaching a handstand class in a parking lot. Mm. Um, kind of through AP, but like it was, I, so I taught in a parking lot with masks for oh like six months of the pandemic. Okay. Um, and the thing I realized when I didn't have a bunch of other stress on top of it was that I was a much better teacher and I actually loved it. Like I was right. like, oh shit, when I actually have sort of the the, the emotional space. space to like 
think about this and actually like respond to people in their bodies and like see them improve Mm. like this is like a level of satisfaction that I mean I imagine it must be what people get from jobs when they are not psychotic like (laughs) (laughs) I was like this is the first thing I've done that I'm getting paid for in like a sustainable way sustainable way right yeah oh god that feels like I'm actually like contributing in a direct way Mm. to someone's like better like betterment humanity betterment yeah yeah and like I was like oh also like shit I'm not bad at this when I'm not distracted by four billion other things yeah hello so I was like okay like maybe actually teaching is something I should think about more okay the other thing is because I needed to get out of the apartment is I started going to parks and just like training what I could as often as I could. Okay. Um, and this was when I really started thinking about kind of what I primarily do now, which is mm. soft acrobatics, acrobatic flow, whatever. Right. Um, because I had the space and um, I was interested in it and like, had started thinking about it I had started talking as one does during a pandemic um, yeah. I had joined like a group chat of a bunch of queer kids who did parkour okay and we're doing parkour in a way that was much more interesting to me than like what I had known it as mm-hmm. um and a lot of what they were doing were involving these different kind of like flips and spins that mm-hmm. I do a lot now so okay. I was just like well whatever I'm going to teach myself how to do these things in a park in Oakland yeah while I'm out of my house and so again I had time to just kind of train um and like there was no like it was nice because it felt like even when I was training before um and like when I had started working on like calisthenics stuff and actually starting to consciously think about a lot of this stuff um the the goals were more kind of concrete in a way that didn't allow as much space for exploration Mm. um and the thing that kind of the space that I know I can actually grow I need to be able to kind of like have a creative level to it okay um so just like straightforward calisthenics stuff when I was just trying to like train on my own or like when I was training Edo Portal style um like I was like this is good for my body but it's not like it's not doing anything for me satisfying Yeah. yeah so finally being able to be like oh, like building these little, like choreographing these little lines of acrobatic movement is like starting to really, really give me access to that flow state. And then like trying to drill them like 400 times in a row to get like the perfect version of it is such, I feel like a specific way of training that does so many things both to your brain and your body Mm. that eventually I was kind of like, oh, this is it. Like, and like, I was like, and the more kind of vocab I was learning, giving me more options. Because um, like I do feel like I'm super not good at staying linear with things. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> fine. Yeah. What the thing that is tricky, I think, about kind of the soft acrobatics practice is that while you don't need a large vocabulary to like try it. Um, and so the way I teach generally is I try to offer a very accessible-ish mm-hmm. set of movements and then put them together in a line um, to play with because 
for me, as I just said, kind of the capacity to start linking things and moving through them and finding flow is what makes the practice so appealing mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. Um, and it's tricky when you first start because, because it is so much kind of specific coordination of your entire body in space. Um, like it's not like necessarily you need to get stronger or you need more flexibility. It's more just like you have to kind of want to practice these moves over and over again mm. um, because you have to just build the pathways in your brain so you can right. access them without thinking about it. And if you have a very limited vocabulary at first, it is still more of a closed system. Um, and being able to move within a closed system, I think is a good way to start. Mm -hmm. But if you are super Gemini, like I am, <laughs> you get bored and you're like, I need to learn new things and yeah. try new things. Right. Um, so the, the pandemic honestly, like really opened up my life as it is now. Okay. Um, and I, I have kind of talked to other people, a lot of people who are, I think, a little more introverted or maybe a little more introverted and more stressed out about kind of like their work-life situation yeah having the opportunity where they had or where those of us who are this type of person had time to ourselves and were relieved of some of this sort of the hustling we had yeah. to do yeah. was actually a good situation mm. um I would not say that the pandemic was a great thing that I am glad happened because no. obviously it isn't but for me specifically it was kind of it actually served a purpose as a necessary kind of space. Right. Yeah. Um, that was super important for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. No, that's awesome. And like, I think what's cool is that like, how old are you? If you don't mind sharing, you don't have I'm to 37. 37. And so like, that wasn't even that, like you started that in your mid thirties. Like I just, yeah. I started cool. yoga and handstands at age 30, I think. Right. Um, so like what I always tell people is like, I literally did nothing with my body for my entire twenties. I was just a functional alcoholic. Yeah, no. And so. that's so cool. And then just like being able to, yeah, have that break. And I like that you keep mentioning like capitalism and like how that does like, like, no, truly. Cause I think it yeah. does take away a lot of like the ability to slow down and to connect to our bodies that like, yeah. yeah, that is really important. And that like, can give you that guidance. Like so many people are so unsatisfied with their lives because they don't have the space yep. because they're living paycheck to paycheck because they can't survive in this like kind of crazy, yeah. like, and yeah, whatever capitalist um, society. So I think that's like really like insightful to, to talk about like, yeah, I had this space and I was able to figure out like what I like and who I am and what I want to move towards. Yeah. That, like we don't always get that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, wow. Oh my gosh. So that's amazing. And um uh wow, I, I have so many questions and I feel like we could go on forever. Like I <laughs> I'm really like, oh my God, I need to talk to you more. But <laughs> so so now you're teaching classes and what what is that looking like for you? So right now I teach um five weekly classes okay. um and then i also teach every other week at a at um at one of the other climbing gyms i teach handstand and soft effort classes okay um and then every couple of months i tend to do handstand pop-ups at local yoga studios and i have 
generally two to three privates a week okay um yeah so you're kind of all over the place and like working and teaching and like yeah like ingrain all that like um philosophy into it like which is really cool to hear because I think yeah there's something to that like you don't really find teachers like that who really think like what they're doing (laughs) all the time you know yeah I uh I feel like um so I think there are a lot of people that can and maybe do teach similar things to what I teach but I don't think there are that many people who are teaching it with as much regularity as I am I honestly believe that having to teach anything a lot to a lot of different people is going to make you a much better teacher than if you're just practicing it and maybe teaching like a workshop or even an intensive once every few months totally like i am teaching i am thinking about planning or teaching handstands like let's say like for a like actual eight hours every single week Right. Like including planning privates in the classes. And right. like, I spend way more time training soft acrobatics because there's a lot more to it. So like, I'm probably spending like a minimum of like 15 hours training, teaching and planning soft acrobatics every week. Yeah. Um, And like, that is a lot. Like if you teach one workshop, if you teach a three hour workshop every three months, like you're only spending nine hours in three months. Right. You're probably planning more things. Right. I, I would hope you're training more. Yeah. Too. <laughs> but um, there's just something about, I think if you are invested at the level I am, and it's not that like, I think sometimes also the difference is like, I want more people to access this. Yeah. Like, I, I mm-hmm. want to see it done more because I know what it has done for me and sure. what it gives me kind of access to and just how honestly satisfying it is. Um, and because of that, like, I want people to get invested in it. Like, I want them to have the opportunity to actually get better at it. Like, I don't want to just show off for an hour and a half and call that a workshop. Like, (laughs) I, I want to have a level where I can also like, enjoy myself. So like, you know, in the soft after classes, generally, like there is space where people are working on stuff where I will kind of come out and just kind of do variation you gotta do your thing you gotta show yeah. people what's possible <laughs> exactly and that is honestly part of it like you know and I spend a lot of time being like this might look easy and might feel hard and mm. that's okay it will continue to feel hard if you never try it again mm. like I just the most important thing I always try to insist because I think when something is so coordination based and I think this is true of like dance as well like you probably can't like watch someone do something and then immediately do the exact same thing. Granted, there are, I guess, a lot of like professional dancers that that's why they're paid to do sure. that is because sure. they do have that kind of brain to do it. Yeah. But if something is new, like you do the choreo like 15 times, you break right. it down into parts. Like this is how, and then probably you film yourself and you're like, oh, I still look bad doing that at the end of this class. And like, that's right. fine. Like that literally like, you should probably, this is the first time you're trying all these things. Like, why would you automatically be able to do it? Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because, especially because I only work with adults. Yeah. Um, I teach adults a lot of things that normally people think of things to teach kids in. Sure. Um, and so adults are really interesting because like, I feel like the primary kind of 
physical practice adults have if they go to a class um, is a yoga class. Mm. And in a yoga class, a yoga class generally is more of a container. You're not necessarily learning things. And like, there's not any, there's like very much an intention on it not being a performative thing. Right. Which I think there's something kind of lost there because I think the capacity to like film yourself, do something in your body and like decide you want to change something will inform the way you do something. And it's right. good to do that. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're an adult to suddenly be in a circumstance where you're not automatically good at something that you want to do and it's it can be very very frustrating for people um so figuring out how to like i think for some people it's just you know it's maybe it's not the right thing for them and i think that's fine like i don't think everyone needs to do it i want everyone to try it because yeah. i think maybe if people try it they'll be more into it than they maybe thought Thanks. Right. But I also, it's kind of like, you know, if you don't think it looks cool to do a handstand, you're not going to put the effort into learning how to do it. Yeah. Like, you do have to have, like, a level of investment. Interest. Right. And it, it's it's also, it can be a little frustrating because it's it's not just like, you know, when you lift weight, like, you just keep doing it and then you can add more weight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. It doesn't yeah. progress that way. No. Like, Instead, you're going to look like an idiot for the first probably six months you're trying to do it. Yeah. Maybe if you spend enough time doing it, you'll catch like I... 10 seconds where you're like, oh, I look sick doing that. Yeah. <laughs> like one of my favorite stories that is really funny is one of my friends who have been working with me for um, a couple of months. Like he was really excited about this like sequence he did. He showed his girlfriend and she was like, wow, you look that you you make that look hard. <laughs> And like, that's how it goes sometimes. Sometimes like, that's how it is. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I try to like remind people, like when I look back, I'm like, cause I, um, so it's also during the pandemic, I started doing like a good daily movement Instagram account. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where I filmed myself every day, um, which was an idea I got from some of the parkour kids. Yeah. Um, but like when I look back at some of those early videos, when I was starting to really play with this stuff, like. I'm just like, wow, that looks really bad. <laughs> like, I was really excited about this and it looks so horrible. Um, but I mean, like, you have to start somewhere. Like, yes. it's the same thing, like, when you teach, you have to kind of be okay with sucking for a little bit. Yeah, totally. Um, there's the poet Ariana Rain has a line that I really like, um, that I feel like is applicable. And like, I use it all the time. Um, there's actually two quotes from her that I like a lot. But the one that I, I'm thinking of here is uh, one of the things she used to say. I don't actually even know if this is from a poem or just something she would say. But she would say, you have to get sick before you can get well. Mm. Um, because you can't, you know, I feel like there's a lot of ways to unpack that. But like the way I like thinking of it is kind of like you have to let yourself suck if you ever want to get better. Right. Because if you're just automatically good enough at something, you're not going to work on it ever. What's really, another thing that's really interesting to me is I really explicitly want to be teaching acrobatics that let you find this flow. Right. Um, and I, I think it kind of has to do with what I just talked about. Like, because I think a lot of people, like the, the very common thing that I hear from people who have just like a passing interest in all this stuff is like, their list of things they want to learn is like a handstand, a backflip, and the splits. 
And it's like, cool, that's great. Those are awesome goals. But like, what do you want to do with them? Mm. Like, do you just want to be like, cool, I can do a backflip. Like, <laughs> whereas I'm just like, I like to do a backflip because I know if I have all this extra momentum in the sequence and I end up pulling like a Gumby out of it, then I'm going to have this linear thing and I'll just use the backflip as a punctuation mark. Yeah. Or like, you know, like, why do you want to do a handstand? Yeah. Like, that's a little different. Like, I want to do a handstand because I love, it feels amazing. Like, right. it has, it is great. I don't know. I feel like that's a different conversation, but where I was trying to go with this. But, uh, so that is the other thing with adults is that, like, there's a lot of the times I don't think there's vision beyond, like, I want to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's enough. And like, right. that's fine. That's, yeah. those are not my students. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Like, because for me, it's just like, I want you to be able to take this vocab I'm teaching you and figure out what in your body is going to be the best way to use it. Right, right. So what, uh, one of the classes that I teach weekly is actually like a workshop, um, <laughs> which is awesome because it means the same people are there for four weeks. I get that's to teach cool. progressively, which is the thing that drives me crazy about fitness classes is that yeah. they're not taught like normal classes yeah like can you imagine going to a math class just like at a random drop-in and then being pissed when you didn't learn anything yeah <laughs> hello no yeah <laughs> so getting people to like commit to a curriculum um is awesome mm. because it lets me work with people in a way where I can actually focus on imparting more of the creative element right um and so like the fourth part of the workshop is always dedicating entirely to me kind of helping people work on making their own minds with sort mm-hmm. of the vocabulary with that and for me that's very important because i feel like when i started learning a lot of this vocab is what yeah. i always call it um i couldn't quite figure out ways to like use it um and it was really just kind of like i would like I didn't have the language for kind of, or even like the the sort of container for how to make these things work in a way that gave a sense of flow that, for instance, I was getting out of a good vinyasa yoga class right, right, that you can right. get from like dancing when you're not thinking about it. Yeah, like, totally. You know, um, and to me, like starting to figure that out is where it becomes more satisfying. Mm. that to me is kind of more important than just being able to do a cool trip cool trips are awesome like but for me like what if you can like 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 why is that trip cool to you like for me like a backflip is cool because like you are literally jumping and inverting moving through the air with physics and landing yeah that's awesome that gives also gives you access to a really cool kind of embodied state that whether you're like thinking about it or not, it starts actually giving you access to something that is kind of reasonably impossible in like the normal way you use your body. So when we start thinking about how we can do this for more than like the two seconds that it takes to do a backflip, then that sort of, that corporeal sensation, that that sort of embodied experience can kind of get larger and larger. Mm -hmm. And then you can actually start being like, it can be more consciously considered. Right. And it's like, cause, you know, a backflip happens super fast. Like you do it and you're like, ah, I did it. Like <laughs> awesome. And like, it, it's like a rush. Like it's great. Like even if you like, you don't land it well, like you just did a backflip. Like, like that's crazy. Yeah. So 
to to be able to kind of take that crazy impossible and amazing sensation and actually figure out how to expand it um is really wild and like it's really it gives a lot like it's it's like that capacity that kind of capacity to be able to use these technologies to access something that is impossible to access otherwise yeah yeah um it's kind of the bottom line for me yeah oh my gosh well what a beautiful bottom line and it's like very obvious that you're passionate about it so your students are very lucky to have you (laughs) i feel lucky that you had this conversation with thank you (laughs) thank you for having me yeah and so you already mentioned your classes and workshops do you have anything that's coming up that you're like excited about where can people find you if they want to work with you i teach mostly at athletic playground in emeryville um i also teach at great western climbing company and pacific pipe which are both touchstone climbing gyms um regularly uh i am hoping to actually travel with some workshops next year um is really what i would like to do um because again i think it's super important the fact that i've been able to teach regularly but i you know it's like it's it's you know i want to i want to be i want to spread it <laughs> I want more people to do it. There's not a ton of people who are teaching it in the U.S. Um, and I think even the people who are teaching it don't quite have the same container that I put it into. Sure. But again, like I just talked about, feels like the important part. So I'm hoping I can make that happen. I don't. I one of my friends in the U.K. wants is is hoping to get me over there for awesome. um, kind of an intensive that he runs that would be super cool to do. Cool. Um, and so. I'm just hoping to be able to kind of travel and spread it. Nice. Yeah. And then you have a website or you have a newsletter. I, I know that much. I have a newsletter and I have a website. My website is vertiginous, but it's .us. Okay. It's one of, so this is the fun thing about me is that it looks great in text because it is vertiginous. But yeah. when you try to like tell someone, you have to say it's V-E-R-T-I-G-I-N dot or I-N-O dot U-S. <sighs> Ah, so, got it. .us is a top-level domain. Cute. Um, and I was like, sick? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, one of those things that's impossible to say out loud. Yes, yes. Um, and I'm super, I'm more active than I probably need to be on Instagram. Okay. Yay, cool. And I'll definitely like link those too in like the show notes and in like um, in the Instagram like posts and stuff. Um, wow. Oh my gosh. And then in like, so let's say there's somebody who is like struggling kind of with their mental health. They want to like get into movement. They like see you and they're like, oh my gosh, like what would you want to say to them? What I always try to tell people is that if you get excited seeing something and you're like, I want to try that, then you should. Um what I always tell people is you need to, again, I've said this multiple times, you have to let yourself suck for a while. Um, and But what I think is important, especially if you're kind of like, you need this sort of recourse um, to a sort of, to kind of help stabilize a mental health consideration, then like you have to recognize that like, you can't beat yourself up if you're not super good at this right away. And to find the pleasure in what you're doing like don't think about what it looks like think about what it feels like and this is what I always actually explicitly encourage my students is that it does not matter what it looks like when you are learning this. like if it feels bad then who cares if it looks good 
if it feels good, that's what matters. So the key is always try to find a way to move that feels good. Like don't, I do feel like there is like, you want to try to push yourself and don't like only do the things that immediately feel good, but try to figure out how to do things that are hard in a way that makes you feel good. Yes. Oh my gosh. What a, what a great way to end this. That was beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was really awesome. And I, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, all your philosophy. I need to join your newsletter. I've been telling you that. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, I hope to, I, I mean, I'm going to do that. I need to do that. <laughs> awesome. So, thank you for asking good questions. Yes. I'm not going to lie. Like I can talk, I can talk anyone dear off, but it's, it's nice when I'm being shaped in a way. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, it was awesome. And I mean, you just have so many directions that you could go. So, so you should start your own podcast. I mean, for real, like, <laughs> but yay. Well, cool. Um, thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode. You can find all of Mike's info in the show notes and um, yay. I hope you have a great rest of your day. <laughs> thank you for listening. Yay, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the What Moves Us podcast. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe for more. And check out my website at reinamovement.com. R-E-I-N-A movement.com. Thank you.